Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Wednesday the 24th of February and joining me on this edition are audio reviewer Ed Selly. I arrived in America's airport with clothings, US dollars and a jar of gypsy tears. News editor Mark Hodgkinson. This suit is not black. And assistant editor Steve Withers. I feel like American movie star at Dirty Harold. I'm not even sure, that certainly wasn't anywhere close to being a good impression. <laughs> it was better than mine and Ed's. I didn't try. I mean, the, yeah. I, 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 it's a shame because my favourite Borat quote isn't in the film. It was back when he was doing it for television. It's like, in my country, we'll put dog on hot plate and make him dance. <laughs> uh, right, let's move on swiftly. Current competitions. Um, Mark, tell us all about them. Uh, we have Blu-rays to win. Um, we Specifically, we have a copy of Blazing Saddles, and that's open to active members until the 2nd of March. And Bullet on Blu-ray, all members, 9th of March. And we do have a previous winner, if you're going to ask me that. Do you want to know who it was? Yeah, go on. It was the boys from Brazil, run by Apollo. And I'll put Steve's witty quip in, pity he didn't win the Rocky Blu-ray. Yeah, that would have been excellent if Apollo had won Rocky. That would have been good. <laughs> it wasn't to be. I'm looking forward to the people winning um, the uh, the Bullet Blu-ray. Obviously, it's got that iconic car chase, but I must have watched Bullet about seven or eight times. I couldn't tell you the plot if you held me at gunpoint. It just it just completely escapes my memory every we're, single time. We're, we're going to do this one week, and we're, we're going to do the, you know, worthy films that we've either never seen or, or didn't like. Um, never seen Bullet. Oh, you're not missing out. It's got that iconic car chase, which I'm assuming you've it. probably seen in on YouTube or whatever. The rest of it, it's incomprehensible for the most part, and weirdly paced so you can win that on blue <laughs> <laughs> do you get back to see if you agree uh yeah once you watched it tell us if we're right or wrong or tell ed anyway because um i haven't seen it same way i'm um, blazing saddles it's such a long time since i last saw that I, i'm we're talking about high school so that was a long time ago i don't think i've seen it since i'm not really sure whether it would stand up if you like fart jokes, you like fart jokes. Yeah, that's universal, isn't it, really? <laughs> What's it, and, that, and Aid it, Ed, that Aid Edmondson quote in Blackadder goes forth? For me, the toilet is a simple simple convenience. For the British, the basis of an entire civilization. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, that's the competitions. Go and try and win some Blu-rays. And uh, let's move on to hardware news. So Steve's been busy this week. The rest of us, not really sure what we've been doing. What have you been doing, Mark? I'm watching Steve work. It's fun. <laughs> Ed, have you been up to anything? Um, I have been getting to grips with Arcam's two-channel AV receiver for its uh, upcoming review. Interesting. We've got a busy podcast today. Lots to talk about. I guess the, the first one we need to talk about is Philips. Uh, they launched their new TV lineup. Uh, Steve, you went to the uh, exotic uh, country of Belgium. I did. Um, Brussels, Brussels, along with David Cameron, as it turned out. Really? <laughs> Not the same event, has to be said. You got more out of it, I think. I think I probably did get more out of it. (laughs) So, I mean, the article's up there. People can go and read it. Um, I am working on the video at the moment, so the video will be up before the podcast goes up. So there will be a video report as well so people can see what the products look like. But very quickly, what were the main things to take away from the event? Well, the main things, uh, they carried over two uh, TVs, the um, the 8601 that we've already reviewed. We reviewed it last month. And also the 8901, which is going to be the one with the Ambilux, which is the TV with projectors in the back of it so that it projects uh, an image onto the wall behind the TV. Um, absolutely bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. But um, they were pushing it quite heavily. That will be coming out. It was supposed to come out last year. It got delayed. It's coming out next month. Uh, under five grand, they said, and from um, a... Um, a re, uh, an individual retailer. I don't know which one. So um, that's coming out in March. Well, I'm thinking 
if it's under five grand, then it's what four nine nine, and um, and one retailer Harrods, at mm. that price, that would yeah. be my guess. Yeah, that would be also be my my guess too. Um, but they wouldn't say, and obviously they don't want to confirm pricing because it's at the you know they want the uh, retailer to confirm that. But that's coming out next month. The eight six zero one is already out. That's the one with the detachable side speakers and four sided ambilight that I reviewed quite recently. And then the, the other thing that was supposed to come out last year that unfortunately disappeared was the nine six hundred nine six zero one flagship TV. But the good news is that a lot of the tech that was going to be in that TV is now going to be in the seven six zero one that comes out. Actually, comes out in July, um, and that's going to be a sixty five inch screen size. It's got the full array backlight, uh, one hundred twenty eight dimming zones, um, a micro dimming premium HDR support. Pretty much all the stuff that was going to be in the, in the uh, in the more expensive flagship TV. So I think for people that were disappointed that the 9601 didn't come out, you might be able to get a very similar experience. And I was watching demos of, of this, doing the same demo that we saw with the 9600, Phil, which was with the firework display at night. And um, it looked superb. So I think, you know, you might be able to get a similar performance for a lot less money, which would be quite a good deal, actually, for a change. I mean, we're, we're going to come on to the DX900 in a minute, but... Um that was the closest backlight I've seen. Both of them are very, very similar in how they handle the backlight, local dimming, and, and the zones to prevent haloing, and both really, really good at doing that. Yeah, I mean, there were more dimming zones. I mean, there are 512 in the DX902. There were more, in the, there would have been more in the 9601. Um, it's reduced to 120. Obviously, there's a certain cost factor attached to it, and this, isn't, this is not their flagship model the 7601 is kind of a hero product, but it's not a flagship model. So in order to hit a specific price point, they're clearly reducing the number of LED zones. But it still looked very good in, in, in demos that I saw, as did the HDR. Um, I think some guy commented on the photographs. Those are just photographs, and they even the two images aren't even running sim, you know, sync, in, sync, in sync. So you can see the second image is actually during a, 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 um, a firework exploding, and there's everyone bathing light from the explosion. So that's why it looks different. I thought the, the demo looked very good. Um, you know, lots of detail in the shadows, loads of detail in the bright parts of the image and the fireworks exploding in people's jewelry and their clothes you know it really showed you what um hdr is capable of and even though these tvs are not uhd premium you know they're they're, they're still hitting uh, uh 700 nits peak uh on on the 7601 uh and it's 10 bit um they didn't say how wide the color gamut was but um you know i think uh, if it's priced correctly that could be a very popular tv the um other thing that they did they, they announced that uh, there was no uh, they're not using curves this year they basically said that we don't like curves um and there hasn't been very good feedback they've had from, from retailers and um, from consumers about curved TV, so they basically just ditch curve. Uh, concepts of surprise. I don't think it's been as popular, perhaps as a certain manufacturer would like us to think it is. The other thing that they said, and this was a not exactly a surprise because there'd been rumours already about uh, LG making similar noises, and certainly Samsung apparently had been rumoured to have said the same thing. But they said there's no 3D uh, on any of their TVs this year. Um, they, they say, as far as they're concerned, 3D is dead, and there's no 3D uh, functionality on anything. And that was obviously we had a clue that, that might be the case when we got the 8601 in for review, and there's no 3D on that. So no 3D this year. 3D's gone as far as Philips are concerned. Apparently Samsung are in a similar a similar opinion, and only obviously their, it, only their flagships will have 3D. Yeah. And LG uh, dropped 3D off of the B6 OLED. So I can't say I'm massively surprised, but it's quite a ballsy move to just drop it from everything. Uh, I don't know how much of this necessarily is Philips's choice and how much of it is being dictated by their suppliers. But uh, they said, you know, 3D's dead and we've got other more important things you'd rather be concentrating on like HDR. So, okay, fair enough. In terms of their lineup, most of it's going to be coming out between March and um, June with the uh, 7601 coming out in July. So that, that will just miss the... Uh, European Championships, but it will be there and available in time for the Olympics. Um, and they promised they will definitely get... I mean, one of the big problems that Philips have had over the last couple of years, partly their fault and partly not their fault, has been that they've been, have had trouble getting 
product into shops. I mean, certainly two or three years ago, you know, there were some great TVs they were making, but people just couldn't buy them. They couldn't find them anywhere. Two years ago, they managed to get more into stores. Last year, they were delayed because of Android TV. I think this year, they're going to make a massive effort to get their full lineup into UK stores uh, uh, on time, you know, in the first half of the year. And um, I think that that's important for them because they had some fairly lofty ambitions as far as their uh, position in, in Europe is concerned, where they're actually number quite often two or three second or third placed in a lot of European countries. And I think in Holland, they're still number one. But obviously in the UK, they're currently fifth, I believe. They're one of these brands which I think people forget how popular they were. Certainly, uh, it was brought to my attention during Anifa two or three years ago. They had a full wall of their TVs from like the 1960s right up to the present day, Philips TVs. And looking at the wall, I was surprised at how many in the past I've actually owned. And then you kind of realise, because I think, you know, Anybody recently won't think of them as, as a particularly big brand, but I think if you go back to the 90s and beyond, sorry, the 90s and backwards, they were quite a big player in the market, as were, uh, ironically, Toshiba and Sharp. Yeah, I mean, Philips definitely were a huge player in the TV market. They went through some difficult times in, in the noughties, and uh, now, of course, their own, their own, the brand, the TV brand, is owned by TP Vision, who in themselves are a gigantic. In fact, if you combine their panel set, panel um, numbers with their monitor numbers, they're the largest manufacturer of panels and, and monitors in the world, bigger even than Samsung. So they're a huge, huge company, and, and they've bought the uh, the T- um, <laughs> they've bought the TV brand Philips. For everywhere but the US, which I believe is actually owned by Funai in the States. So it's a little bit complicated. But certainly, uh, they, they obviously place a lot of value in the, in the name and have also um, retained a lot of the uh, expertise that was within Philips. And yeah, I think uh, it's, it's, the TV market is not an easy market. And, and they're certainly, I think, doing a good job. As long as, like I said, if they can just get stuff into the shops, I think they produce some quite good products at very good prices. And uh, I think they'll do well this year, as long as they get them into shops in time. No. Another big thing, which I don't think they were supposed to <laughs> announce, Steve. No, it was not um, meant to be But it, it, it kind of, the cat kind of got out of the bag, and that is uh, round about IFA, round about September time, they're likely to announce their first OLED TV, which is going to be a 55 inches and flat. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's re- it was really funny because you, you, we go to these Philips events every year and also they do stuff at IFA and they quite often have technical demos. And for the last couple of years, they've been sort of demonstrating how they can do TV, LCD, LED TVs that are as good as OLED. You know, OLED's not that great, <laughs> blah, 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 really dissing OLED. And then this year, it's like they had an OLED TV and, and you know, an LCD TV and they're going like, isn't OLED fantastic? Look how deep the blacks are. Look how great the colours are. And we're like, hang on a minute. You've changed your tune, haven't you? Um, yeah. Are you planning on releasing an OLED TV? And then it was brilliant because it was Danny Tack, who's a kind of um, the picture quality guru. And uh, he's like, uh, yeah, we're planning on releasing one uh, probably like second half of this year. And I can see the looks on the imagine director's faces. It was like... Was, was he bought it as well, was he? <laughs> it was so funny because you could just see the looks on the MD's faces as they thought, that's blown up, big announcement for him. But then <laughs> as everyone stopped tweeting away and stuff. Well, um, it is interesting because it, it's going to be flat. It's going to be 55 inches. It's obviously um, going to be an LG if, panel. If they're not, yeah, it's going to be an LG panel. If they're not doing 3D, then it's likely going to be the B6 panel. Yes. Which is going to be interesting. But it's going to have their picture processing technology, which Danny's always been hot. And, and they have always done some really interesting processing stuff, even if it's the type of, type of stuff that, as image connoisseurs, we turn off. Some of the stuff, if you're into sport and fast-moving, some of the processing they have is really, really good. And it would be yeah. interesting to see how that 
marries in with uh, with an OLED panel. It'd be really interesting to see what they do with the OLED actually. And, and in terms of pricing, they did say they were planning on pricing it around about whatever uh, LG are pricing at. So it's not going to be um, super expensive the way that the Panasonic was. So it'd be interesting. It'd be good, I think, even though it's an LG panel, it'd be good to have some choice in terms of OLED screens um, and hopefully at a reasonable price as well. The biggest advantage there, though, Steve, sorry to cut in again, but if you've got competition, it's not necessarily competition. It's the fact that you've got Panasonic, you've got LG, you've now got Philips. You're likely going to have somebody else at some point. And there were strong rumours for a long time that Sony might be another one to pick up and, and purchase an OLED panel and release a TV. Wouldn't put it past them. We thought it might have been CES. It could happen later on. It might not happen. We don't know. We're kind of speculating. But if there's three brands now with OLED, that's got to be good for the perception, the public perception of the technology becoming mainstream, even though it is still quite expensive. It gets that momentum behind it to push it to market, more people behind it, more manufacturers, then the general public, they'll take an interest in it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think I think it would be good for its profile in terms of the mass consumer, mass consumers. It'll also be uh, good in terms of development too, because you don't really want one company having to shoulder all the, all the R&D, all the development. If the other manufacturers are working on things like processing and Im- you know, image processing and stuff behind the panel itself, that's got to be good as well. So I think it's good news all round. Uh, particularly if you're a fan of OLED technology, which I personally am. I think uh, you know some more brands being involved in the OLED market is definitely good. And uh, it'd be interesting to see when they do launch it, uh, what it uses in terms of HDR, because at the moment they're using HDR10 on all their TVs, and it is almost all their 4K lineup, which is almost their entire range. Um, it's a lot of 4K, but it's still a bit of full HD, because obviously small screen sizes, it's full HD, but most of their larger screens, or all their large screen sizes really are, are uh, 4K, and, and most of it supports HDR10. Different levels, they've rather confusingly gone for HDR Plus and HDR Premium, which is really going to confuse a poor consumer, and I think. what, what is the difference? Is it a net value difference? Yeah, net value difference. Basically, right. HDR, um, HDR Plus up to about 500 nits, and HDR10, uh, sorry, HDR premium goes up to 700 nits which is still pretty pretty bright for a led lcd tv yeah, so yeah, i guess what bright. the point you're making there is will it come with dolby vision well lg are the only people supporting in this country in europe they are the only manufacturer supporting dolby vision it's not on any of the players that are going to come out first first quarter first first half of the year and everybody else is hdr10 and dolby vision has to have an hdr10 layer anyway so I don't get the rush and comments on the forums as well. People say, oh, well, if it hasn't got Dolby Vision, I'm not interested. Um, that's kind of cutting off your nose to spite your face because the vast majority of material is going to be HDR10. The vast majority of the equipment is going to be HDR10. And Dolby Vision is an add-on layer anyway. It's a 1080 add-on layer, isn't it? Um, yeah, enhancement layer, laid over the... Um, which is laid over HDR10 anyway. So it's a slight enhancement, but it, it's not something that I would stop purchasing a bit of equipment for because it hasn't got it because no. at the moment there's only one manufacturer supporting it and that's only on the display side there's no source side at the minute yeah there's lg supporting it on their oled tvs and you know they can go up to 500 nits can't they that's their uh, peak brightness well given that hdr10 goes up to a thousand and that's the most any tv this year is going to be able to achieve then you know there is no actual benefit from having dolby vision even if it was available on your tv because that's mastered at 4000 nits currently well no tv can get anywhere near it so you know whether you've got Dolby Vision or HDR10 on your on your TV this year is a complete irrelevance, and I really wouldn't worry about it. I think people are getting yeah. their knickers in a twist over something that just is a non-issue. That the what? Yeah, knickers in a twist. All oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> over something that's a non-issue. As yeah, far as I'm yeah. Concerned. Well, I, I, yeah. 
I mean, it's how the internet works, isn't it? I, I, we, we saw that with the thread for the next thing that we're going to talk about, which is the DX900. We were fortunate we got one through, I think it was first in the world, <laughs> mainly because it's not available in the States. And it's not going to be available in the States for a while. But we got the review up nice and early. You spent a good week and a bit with it. Really good look at it. We knew that this was coming. We did a little bit of development stuff with the pre-production about nine months ago now. And then we saw it again, closed door uh, at CES. Um, There was one on the stand, but we also had a closed door demo with the professional monitors. Um, So side by side with the professional OLED monitors from Sony. Although they had the name covered up, there's only one manufacturer of those. Yeah, it wasn't difficult to guess. (laughs) (laughs) Professional studio reference monitors. And the thing was at CES, and we mentioned it in the CES podcast, was how close this TV got to that that picture quality. And in terms of colour, contrast, black levels and shadow detail, they were almost identical. Yeah, it was really impressive. I mean, we're talking about... And against a professional, you know, a professional monitor against a domestic TV, and there was barely anything in it, and that's impressive. And that that is what uh, Panasonic were trying to achieve here. That was their ambition from the start to create a domestic LED LCD TV that they feel could give a performance that was almost as good as a professional monitor. And based upon my testing and experience with it, I would say they they've achieved that goal. It, it was it was stunning. And now there's been an awful lot of uh, comments in the thread about a couple of, about one thing in particular, which is input lag. This TV is not designed for gamers. If you're a gamer and you want a 20 second input lag, go and buy a gaming monitor or go and choose something else because that's not what this is. This is designed for watching movies on as you know as close as possible to what the content creators intended, and it achieves that fact. The uh, input lag is high at 68 milliseconds. I've reported that to Panasonic. They've told Japan they're working at it, looking at it now. I can't guarantee they can make any difference and change it or improve it, but they're certainly aware of it and they're certainly working on it because they know it's an issue. But that is not what the TV was designed for. The TV is not designed for gaming. The TV is designed for watching movies. And if you're watching movies on this, it's absolutely stunning. The image accuracy out of the box, if, it were, if we were scoring it as a post-calibrated performance, it would be referenced anyway before we'd even calibrate it. You can fine-tune it to within an inch of its life. More importantly, it tracks... Extremely, you know, almost perfectly in terms of um, in terms of tracking at 25, 15, 75% as well. It also tracks almost perfectly on the DCI setting against DCI, uh, and it, it hits 95.6% of DCI. So, you know, it might for me that that means you know you're going to get the best possible performance with Rec 709 content. You're going to get the best possible performance with um, DCI color space content, which you know I know they're using a Rec 2020 um, container, but it's going to be a DCI color space inside that. It's going to hit that perfectly. You know, what more could you want from a modern TV? It, it measured over a thousand nits on a window, which means that their claims that they could A, hit over a thousand nits and B, do on a larger area than, than most of the competition or all the competition is held true as well. Um, watching, I watched, I've got a look, I had a little clip of the Lego movie, which I think you also saw Phil when we were in um, CES, throwing on the bike, being chased by the helicopters and that sort of stuff. And um, I've got the Lego movie on Blu-ray. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, comparing the two. There wasn't any real difference in, in, in resolution, but it was like what it was day and night. I mean, the, the difference was staggering in terms of the Blu-ray looked insipid. It looked just looked boring and rubbish in comparison, which I wasn't expecting. It was just such such an improvement in terms of the blacks are blacker, the the the, the detail in, in in the shadows and the detail in the bright parts. It just had more punch and more you know, more dynamic range to it. The colours were more vivid and richer. It was staggering uh, the difference. And I thought, blimey, you know, if that's what HDR can deliver, then that's going to be a real game changer. I guess a, an interesting point to to bring in here a question to ask um, is that when you feed it HDR content there's normally an override on, on certainly on stuff that we've seen so far that there is HDR compatible um, there's an override where it overrides and greys out a lot of menus and stuff is that the case with this TV? 
It did, yes. Now, um, what happened was it detects it and immediately, um, this is the first time I watched something on it, so it was brand new at the time. It went to uh, 100 on the um, backlight, which is way too high. I don't think it needed to be that high, but brought it down a bit. But you can bring it down. But the advanced section was, um, the advanced settings submenu was grayed out. But it was also only giving me the, op- this was through USB, by the way. It was only giving me the option for normal and dynamic. Now, according to Panasonic, as I talked to them this morning, they said that's not meant to be the case. So either there was a bug you know, something was, there must be a bug somewhere because you're meant to be able to access all the different picture settings from even from USB as well as from HDMI. So um, they're aware of that too. Um, so it did limit it a little bit in what I could do. I don't know whether maybe if you had, say, a pro a pro um, setting, you could access things like advanced settings and still change them. Because if you go into those settings when you're watching normal content, you can select things like, you know, the um, is it EOTF uh, 702084, is it? Um, you can select um, Rec2020, 20, 20, you can select DCI, you can do all these things in, no, I'm not sure I just say, by the way, Rec2020 20, 20 is not, Rec2020, 20, 20, it still taps out at, uh, at um, the, the native colour space, which is well, roughly the, DCI. Yeah, well, the TV is only yeah, capable of 95% yeah. in but it, DCI. But it's designed to sort of track up to as far as it can go, as close as possible to, to Rec2020. 20, 20. So you can do all that, those are all selectable options inside the menus. So I don't know whether that's just a, a, a bug that I wasn't able to access all the different viewing modes or whether that's meant to be the case. They said it wasn't meant to be the case, so it could well be a bug. I mean, don't forget, this is obviously the TVs haven't even hit the stores yet, so maybe it's a bug there. But they're aware of that and they're looking into that as well. Uh, so without spoiling the review, because obviously we want people to go and read the review and, and read what your findings are, basically in, in wrapping up on the DX902, is it a TV you would own, Steve? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'd be more than happy to have one of these TVs in my lounge. I thought it was fantastic. Because don't forget, not only is it incredibly accurate in terms of colours, it's also got 512 LED uh, zones. It's got the new honeycomb local dimming, which is which is meant to prevent uh, light spill, and the new diffuser, which works really well. It's got uh, you know the black levels, fantastic. Um, particularly if you're sat directly in front of the TV, there's very very little haloing at all, um, even when it's quite bright with like with um, HDR content. Uh, and I just thought it was an absolutely stonking television. And I didn't think I'd ever say that about an LED LCD television, but it was really good. And if uh, the price of OLED was only five hundred quid more. Well, we're we talking about last year's OLED or this year's OLED. This year, I don't know. I haven't seen this year's yet. <laughs> um, uh, well, you've seen them at CES, so you, yeah, you, you, yeah, they look good. I mean, I mean, I, I'm, if if an OLED can deliver the same kind of color accuracy for all, both DCI and Rec, and um, and Rec Seven Hundred Nine, if it, if it's calibratable the way that the Panasonic is, and that's not always been the case with uh, with LG. Uh, if it can deliver that kind of performance, plus obviously it has the advantage of you know of, of the superior black levels and the fact that it, you know self-emitting rather than using local dimming then it would certainly be a, a it'll be a uh, be a tough call i mean uh, th- if the prices are close it's going to be a real real battle royale between the two of them i think no uh, the, th- the thing is right we know the dx902 measures zero nets because it switches the backlight off to achieve that yes yes this is where the differences are in, in black levels and i think this is where people are getting confused because they take that measurement and they think that is a superior black level to oled that is not because what happens if there's a star in that block say it's a Star Wars film or something that you're watching, then it can't switch itself off completely, which means it raises the black level. So the zero is a red herring. You're never going to have zero. You should never have zero anyway in an image. An image will always have 0.5 of a net in it, and there'll always be detail on a really good monitor from that level upwards, even in the blacks. And that's what gives the blacks a fluid look, and that's what gives the black... uh, that's, That's a proper black... Not where it's black and there's nothing in it, because there's always something in the background, in the black. And that's the difference between an OLED and an LED LCD t- TV that switches it off. 
where the LED LCD TV has to perform is with shadow details, and it's always been a weak point of that technology. Yeah. So although it's been struggled with with OLED as well to a degree. With, with some, yeah, because of the, <laughs> let's not get into it, but with a bit, <laughs> with a bit depth in the black level, sometimes it has been an issue. Um, whereas plasma, obviously, with a drive that the plasma uses, it, completely different way of driving the panel. It was always uniform across there, and it was all, but let's forget that, this whole technology now. But that is the differences. So even though it measures zero, that's not a real world figure, and forget about that, because there are differences in black levels. But I've got to say, when I saw the pre-production of the, the DX900, and I used the Sunshine which you used in your review as well. Use as well, yeah. The black, the detail in the black level on an LED LCD TV, I could not believe what I was seeing. It was really fluid. It looked very, very plasma-like. And you got, you got to think, well, this is Panasonic you're talking about. They know, they know how to generate good images, and um, that really stood out for me because it was side by side with a Samsung, and, and the Samsung was was more blocky in the blacks. Didn't have the same. It wasn't pulling the same detail, and I mean the finest of detail out that the DX900 was. Um, so again, I th from what you're saying and what I've seen as well, I think it's one of the first LED LCD TVs that does black properly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you could say it's, you could argue the case of whether you go for this or an OLED TV. And, and I love OLED; I think the image is fantastic. But some people have asked me the question, you know, would you, how does this compare to a plasma? Different ball, diff different thing entirely. I mean, we're not talking about you, you know, we're talking about a TV here that's 4K, supports HDR, has a DCI color space, um, does all the other stuff that we're talking about. You know, there's no comparison between that and a three-year-old plasma that's 1080p, you know, that, that's dead technology now, forget it. Uh, yeah, if you've got a plasma and you're thinking about grading, that you would not be disappointed if you bought the DX902. Steve, did you uh, contemplate a different award? Because re reading through the review is... Uh, I did. did now, there's a couple how, cl how close did it get? Well, I, I think it would be difficult to award something a reference status when you haven't seen anything else. Because what, what's your point of reference at that point? You've got no point of reference. And you, but you could say, you know, um, you could differentiate between different technologies and say that's a reference for one te technology, that's a reference for LED LCD technologies. You could also make that argument. But I think, you know, to, to award the reference status, plus you've also got, there are issues. First of all, aside from the input lag we've already mentioned, um, 3D had a bit of crosstalk in it. I mean, we could say at least they're still doing 3D, which is more than some of the other manufacturers are doing, but um, there wasn't crosstalk, which is disappointing. Although the brightness of it meant that, you know, you'd have, you know, even wearing the glasses, it was still a lovely bright image. And clearly it's a VA panel. So um, one of the big advantages OLED has over, 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 over this TV would be the viewing angles. Once you uh, start to move 25 degrees either way of center, you're going to start seeing a drop off in, in the contrast performance because that's just the nature of technology. Um, and that, again, you know, it means it can't, you know, it does, it does limit its abilities to, unless you're sat directly in front of it, which obviously I am most of the time. And, but uh, if you're looking for something where you're going to have people spread out across the room and looking at different yeah, angles. If, if, if you're talking about people who've got like a normal family with kids and all the rest. <laughs> yeah, <then>. yeah. Um, <laughs> not people like us, Steve, where we just sit in front, by in front of the TV. That's not a criticism of television, by the way. I mean, that's just the nature of VA panels. I mean, that would be the same whether it was a Sony or a Samsung. So I did think about it long and hard, Mark. Um, okay, to put it another way then, it, would you say this was better? <laughs> would you say, I'm, not, I'm not saying you should have given it a reference, by the way. Would have been devil's, devil's advocate here. Um, would you say it's a better TV than the last TV you gave a reference status to, i.e. an LG OLED? Well, uh, well, no, the last TV they got the reference was the Panasonic OLED. The CZ oh, right. too. All oh, right, okay, yeah. And I take it that uh, you, no. you find the CZ a better overall? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, in terms of it's got a similar level of colour accuracy, because um, again, that was a TV where, where where Panasonic were pulling all the stops out in terms of delivering um, something that could compete with the with the studio monitor. And it was it was again a no compromise 
as, as was evidenced by the prize, a no compromise approach to picture quality, and they certainly delivered that. And it obviously has all the advantages of OLED, you know, the, the superior black levels, the wider viewing angles. But, you know, let's be honest here, you can, you can pick up the 65-inch DX902 for uh, 3,200 quid. That's mm -hmm. a hell of a good price. I mean, that's a hell of a price for what you're getting. That's the other thing I probably should mention, you know, value-wise, you could almost say it's, it's, it should get a best buy. You know, I mean, that's a staggering. I mean, was it 2,700 for the 58-inch version? Wow. I mean, you're getting an awful lot of TV for your money there. Let's move things on because I think we've uh, we've talked enough TV and we're going to have, not next week because the podcast isn't around next week, but the following week, we're going to be talking a shed load of TV as well because we'll have had the Panasonic convention and um, hopefully we'll know exactly what's coming. So we'll cover it in more detail in the next podcast. So let's move on and it's uh, movie reviews next. Uh, what's at the cinema, Steve? Opening this weekend, we had Triple Nine and also The Finest Out. Triple Nine was reviewed by Kaz on the site. He was quite looking forward to this, and I think he was a little bit disappointed. He felt that it, it, much like John Hillcott's other films, it tends to sort of start well and then drift off towards the end. He um, gave it a 7 out of 10. I think the, the best thing in it is um, Kate Winslet playing a, a mafia, Russian mafia mob boss. So there you go. Probably worth seeing it for that alone, really. And the other one is The Finest Hours, which is a 3D movie about um, an actual rescue in 1952, I believe it was, where a um, tanker breaks, literally breaks in half, and the front half sinks, and the second half is still staying afloat, and these guys have to go out in a little um, you know, lifeboat to try and save them uh, in the middle of this massive storm. And that got 7 out of 10 as well from Kimari. And, and I think uh, I quite fancy this, actually, because a lot of people are saying it plays much like, not only is it set in 1952, but it plays like a 1950s movie in terms of the way people behave and act, uh, but with modern technology, making this um, really visceral, realistic storm. Um, and I, and I, I thought I quite fancy that. It might be worth picking up perhaps on disc at some point. For what it's worth, my wife genuinely enjoyed it. Um, yeah. And uh, it has one thing that she found quite refreshing, and it's quite sad that this is the case. It, it feeds on from what you were saying about its sort of 50s era vibe. This isn't necessarily 50s era vibe, but it's unusual in 2016 that it was quite refreshing to watch a piece of film entirely self-contained within itself that isn't that long and it, it's not been made with hopes of a sequel or spin-offs or its, rel its relative position to some other cinematic universe. It's just a film which you sit down and watch and take on its own merits. It's your Sounds way good. free to um, review movies because I'd much <laughs> rather listen to her summing them up than Steve. She seems to um, get bang on, Neil. <laughs> Oh, what, we want more bleak as fuck, do we? Um, <laughs> she can sing them to us as well, I mean. Uh, well, I, I will put it... <laughs> Didn't she review the crudes as being about as much fun as drowning? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we definitely need her on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I like the idea, Mark, of her singing the review. That, that this sounds excellent. Heart music in You'll the background. pay for that. Mm. <laughs> but uh, no, no, no she, for what it's worth, my wife... Um, you know, she's she's re re relatively critical of most films, but you know, she's it's not a masterpiece, but it is it's something you can go and watch on its own merits, and when it's done, it's done. Jobs are good, and and that's all fine. Good stuff. Uh, right, so opening this Friday, um, I I didn't know about this until I saw a clip on YouTube, Steve. Um, it was the uh, Kimmel uh, live on in the US. It's Sasha Baron Cohen film. It's called Grimsby. It's called The Brothers Grimsby in the US. Hadn't heard anything about this until I saw the trailer and it, uh, and this clip from the Kimmel show. And it was such a graphic clip that they couldn't show it to the TV audience. They had to show it to the audience in the studio. 
and they could only show the reaction that the studio audience were having to the clip. And it's probably the funniest 30 seconds of TV I've seen in a long time, just their reaction to what was going on on screen. And you want to know what's going on on screen. Mm -hmm. So in, in terms of marketing, I think it worked brilliantly. Yeah, the the yeah. same thing on Jonathan Ross. It, I think it's a master, um, a marketing masterstroke. To be honest, it just, it just obviously just makes you want to see what everyone's in hysterics about. But um, yeah, I, I didn't really like the trailer so much. But then I was quite enticed to watch by the uh, audience reaction. Yeah, I saw the trailer uh, before Deadpool actually, and um, it, uh, I don't know, it felt like it was pandering to every northern stereotype you can imagine, and uh, not, not, I didn't seem like a high point in Mark Strong's career. I have to say, playing um, the second brother. I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of curious, but it has worked because now I'm curious to see what everyone was you know, reacting to in that clip. Um, so I probably will end up seeing it, if well, not, you, at the movies. Well, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen, it's going to be pretty sick. <laughs> it's going to be pretty out there. He's never held back, has he, when it comes to humour? I mean, you, Ali, G was, Ali G was quite timid, actually, when you see the likes of Borat. And- Borat nude wrestling, that was pretty graphic. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, Oh, what, what was that? Um, Bruno. Bruno. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, if those don't know what the film's about, um, it involves two brothers, two orphans who are split up at, um, at a very young age. And one grows up to become a super spy and the other one become, grows up in Grimsby. And unfortunately, meet up as adults and um, reunite. And then the uh, brother who grew up in Grimsby starts to get in the way a bit, I think, of the uh, spy's mission and uh, ensue comic mishaps. <laughs> Yeah, and something graphic and revolting by the looks of that clip on the Jimmy Kimmel show with, with elephants by the sound of it as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it could work. I mean, the other one that, that kind of took the the genre very much tongue in cheek was Kingsman, which I eventually caught up with a couple of weeks back, and I thoughtly enjoyed it. I thought it was, I really enjoyed. Kingsman. I thought it was really laugh out loud. So I, I don't I don't think he's ever made a really bad film. I think his type of humour, Sasha Baron Cohen, it, it it it's the type of humour where you feel embarrassed. For the guy, it's a bit like Ricky Gervais, where you feel embarrassed and it's that kind of you want impulse to switch off, which I, I think you either love it or hate it. And and I've got to say, Borat, it took me two or three seconds to get through that because I, I just found it so excruciatingly embarrassing at some points. I just had to switch off. I've not really liked him on the big screen. I've, li- I've liked him on TV. I'm yeah. exactly the same. It's one of those things where it works perfectly for five minutes, but yeah. not for 90. Yeah. 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 I, th- I think As a means of, I mean, the original, you know, when it was, uh, the, when it was the, whatever the hell that thing was. 11 o'clock show. 11 o'clock show. That was it. Yeah. That's why and it was just a, just a, a well. brilliant means of just unmasking people's re- views or opinions using the Ali G character. And it was phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, the, the Ali interviews. That they did. It was almost. Uh, it was almost like um, the day to day when they did um, the cake. Uh, cake, yeah. Cake. Yes. <laughs> cake. Yeah. Is made up, right? <laughs> oh, brilliant! I, I'm gonna have to watch that clip again. But uh, yeah, it's like that, and it works in in little sections, like like Gervais did as well. I mean, Gervais started on the eleven o'clock show as well, didn't he? As a as a yes. correspondent and as a character who was pretty out there, and like you say, it works for like five ten minutes. Any longer than that. It's like the Ali G movie as well. It fell flat in its face. It just didn't work, did it? Because they tried to draw it out too much. You probably could say the same about Partridge as well. Alpha Papa, it was all right, but it was a bit drawn out. It was better out. than Ali G, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was still a bit drawn out, wasn't it? Yeah, not a patch on the TV series. But hey, Steve Coogan is dead to me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so in the same, same place as um, Hugh Grant in the <laughs> yeah, shit list. <laughs> yeah, that's it. No, no more money to Coogan. He tried to nick my girlfriend, Steve Keegan. 
What? When I was about they, Hang on, hang on, hang on. This sounds like a weather story. <laughs> this really does sound like a weather story. <laughs> I was in a, 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 an unsalubrious nightclub in between Fallowfield and Didsbury, and he was there, and he tried to steal my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Did he succeed? No. no. He went away with a flea in his ear. <laughs> was it's the hygiene particularly? It's all a bit hazy, there. but yes, yes. <laughs> I didn't know who he was then. So how, how do you know Steve Coogan? <laughs> because someone someone I was with knew who he was, and I didn't know who he was. He was just he wasn't really on TV then. He was just a stand-up, aspiring stand-up. There you go. So you probably would have had more success now he's famous. With your... I'd imagine he'd have no problem whatsoever. Yeah, that's definitely a weather story. That you, yeah, yeah, it's not likely to throw one in there. Be, yeah. Although yours is probably true, Mark. Yeah, mine is true. All my stories are unfortunately true. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> it's your life. You lived it. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's Grimsby. It's coming out of the cinema this Friday. Um, Actually, it comes out on Wednesday. Is it Wednesday, is it? Okay, so uh, that comes out the day of the podcast. It comes out tonight. So that gives it, what, an opening weekend of seven days? <laughs> that's the you know, that, that's what they do these days. Yeah. They start opening earlier and earlier to have a bigger yeah, opening weekend. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a trick now, isn't it? The Wednesday... Uh, yeah. There was a couple Opening last week. Zero zero one a.m. on Monday. <laughs> well, there has been at least a couple of examples where it's opened on the Saturday when it's meant to open the following Friday. So they've had like a seven-day opening weekend. Yeah, it's, it's just getting at the stage now. It won't be too long before you get a cinema release at the same time as it's on a streaming service and or some other they have way. I've tried that a few times. Sorry, yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, the field in England did that. Did yeah, you but, go and see it? At the cinema? No, I watched it on Channel 4 because it was also oh, yeah. on TV at the simultaneous. That's right, yeah. like, That's that was free and easier. Yeah. Okay, uh, Blu-rays this week. I think I'm going to go and buy both of these. In fact, probably uh, going to go tonight up to Tesco and, and, and pick them up. Spectre and Crimson Peak. And Crimson Peak is the first DTS-X disc. And we've already discussed this. I have, uh, although now I've actually watched it, which helps. And? I saw it last night. Ah, fantastic. I mean, it's. Um, I quite enjoyed... Crimson Peak, although I can understand why some people didn't. Uh, but in terms of its uh, visuals and sound design, stunning. The, the visuals are opulent, Phil. I mean, it just oozes production design and, and, and a very specific colour scheme. And it's, it's just stunning to look at. But it's also got a staggeringly good sound design. Because when they're in the house, it, the, which is kind of almost like a character in itself, um, you know, it, it's alive, it's breathing around you. And there are sounds going through pipes and stuff like that. And they're room, going all around the room and across the ceiling and around the sides. I mean, absolutely, it, makes, take, it takes full advantage of the additional speakers that either DTSX or if it had been Atmos would have um, allowed. So it, it, it totally immerses you in this in this side, this house in particular. And when the ghosts turn up and sort of stuff, it's very scary in places and a very, very effective sound design. I was, I was really, really impressed by it. I haven't seen Spectre yet, although I got my disc last week. You went to the cinema to see it, though, didn't you? I did. I saw it at the cinema, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I didn't see the cinema, so um, as you know, uh, I'm going to go and get the disc, and I'll probably watch it tomorrow night and uh, and see what it's like. Am I in for a treat, or is it... See what you think of the f- photography, because um, uh, Skyfall was shot digitally, wasn't it? This was shot on 35mm, and uh, I remember at the cinema thinking it looked a little soft, so... Okay. So, yeah, I could have been the cinema, obviously, but uh, I have heard other people say the same thing. So, okay. Um, talking about the cinema, certainly the last film I saw at the cinema, I saw it in three D, Steve, in IMAX, and I have to say, for first time in a long time, I actually enjoyed the the three D experience. But it seems to be that well, I, I said it a few years ago, and I got absolutely um, there's a there's a thread on an American forum <laughs> where somebody <laughs> took 
offence to what I said, which was basically I don't see 3D being a success because you're relying on people wearing glasses at home sitting in front of a TV. And a TV screen is not big enough to get the the, the effect. On a projector, on, on a bigger screen, you get more of it. It feel, fills more your field of view and it's a better experience. Plus, if you're sitting in a cinema room with a projector and stuff, you don't necessarily mind putting the glasses on, I think. In the living room, there's the whole having to get up, go and get the glasses, sit down, put the film on, small screen. So I said I didn't see it being a... I didn't think it was going to be a success back then. And this forum thread on our US forum, they, they were like, oh, how dare you, and all the rest of it. And, but I guess, you know, I'm not going to say I told you so, but it's starting to get to the point where those were the issues, and it seems to be that that's what's killed it off in the home, at least. Yeah. Um, I don't want to... I mean, obviously, I don't want to wear two pairs of glasses for the most part so i'm not wildly keen on it at the cinema as well but no at home no that can just get stuffed frankly it just doesn't it's never done anything for me and it's just uh, i don't know in so much as for for home viewing as well films are slightly communal thing it's just a layer of detachment between you and everybody else as you sit there and you're doing a sort of Bono impersonation. And it's just, no, it's never, it's never... Um... I, I think the thing as well, when first, second and third generations of this technology, I think the glasses were the issue, weren't they, Steve? Because they were too dark. They were Some of them were really quite sore to, to wear for any length of time because they were too small or the design wasn't particularly good or light was coming in from the site. There seemed to be a lot of issues, whereas... You know, my recent cinema experiences have been very good because the glasses, they're passive, um, they're light. You forget you're wearing them, actually. They're easy to wear in front of a pair of glasses if you if you wear glasses anyway. Um, the lenses are nice and big, and you're getting a lot of light back through them. And, it, you know, in the home, that was the issue. The glasses were the issue. Now, they are getting better, or certainly have been getting I better. I think it's recently. ironic that just as everyone started to quietly ditch 3D, it's actually been the best it's ever been in terms yeah. of experience, yeah. experience at home. Yeah. If you think about uh, a 4K, and I'm thinking specifically here about LG, but a 4K OLED panel with 1080p for each eye and a pa- and, and passive and a bright image, you're getting some absolutely fantastic 3D um, that you, you couldn't have even dreamed of when it first launched, um, was it four, four or five, when was it five years ago? 2010. Um, 2010. Oh, blimey, yeah, so... In, in six years ago now so you know it's, suddenly it's, it's got really good just as everyone's finally realized that no one's that interested unfortunately whilst i do like 3d and obviously a lot of people a lot of forum members are fans and they're enthusiastic they like 3d and so they're quite up in arms about the idea of 3d being quietly dropped by a lot of the manufacturers but the reality is that the majority of people couldn't care less about watching 3d at home they don't want to wear the glasses they don't find it particularly enjoyable it's not because it's a tv the image isn't big enough it's not immersive Whereas it is still popular at the cinema, no question about that. Uh, if you look at the numbers for Force Awakens, that did extremely well in terms of 3D screenings. So there's still a demand for it in in um, in the cinema. There's a big demand for it in certain countries, particularly places like China, where, it popular, where it's still hugely popular. Um, but I have noticed, uh, certainly in the States, there's been a big drop-off in the amount of Blu-ray 3D releases. Um, quite often films that were available in 3D, certainly some of the Disney films, I've noticed have not been released in America in 3D, even though there's a, there's a 3D version available, um, although they still continue to support it in this country. Uh, a good example would be Frozen. I'm pretty sure Frozen did not get a 3D release in the States, but it was released on 3D Blu-ray in this country. So they have been gradually phasing them out. 
And more and more films are conversions. It's quite rare now to find an, an, a native 3D film production. It's almost all uh, post-production conversion to 3D these days. The most recent example I can think of that was actually native was The Martian. Um, even things like The Walk were shot in 2D and then converted in post. So um, there's less and less native 3D. There's, there are less and less Blu-rays. Obviously, there's no broadcast channels left anymore. I think they're all gone now. Um, I think that in many ways that was the, the a prime indicator that all was not well. That um, neither the BBC nor Sky could get any meaningful traction uh, with with 3D broadcasting. It, that just said no, people aren't bothering with this in the home. I, I think there was a lot of technical issues as well um, that kind of hindered things and, and didn't help in, in the production of... You know, putting together a, a, a 3D production. I mean, I've, I've been on um, one 3D shoot, which was at Air, um, Air Studios, um, and it was Paul Carrick, and it was a 3D shoot of his um, new album at the time, and it was a Panasonic launch that was happening that day, but I'd, I'd went early on to film them filming in 3D and all the rest of it. And the complexity, I mean, they must have done the same number now, normally they would shoot it two or three times, so they'd do the same number two or three times with different uh, different camera angles and all the rest of it, and they had a lot of dolly shots and that kind of thing. So they'd film it three times, so they got plenty of coverage to, to put together a nice-looking um, nice looking musical number for a TV programme. And it was a TV programme at the time that they were filming it for. But with 3D, they were doing it six or seven times and a lot of the time it was to do with the parallax of the cameras and sometimes it was all wrong and it didn't look right and it was giving people headaches and and the only way they could check as well was with anaglyph glasses which I found <laughs> astonishing um, at that moment in time that's what they were using on one of these monitors to check the depth of the shots and so on so there was so much complexity in doing that now that was a pre-recorded thing where they had the ability to do that seven, eight, nine times for each number to get the shots that they wanted and to correct things that went wrong. If you look at live sport, certainly TV, TV live sport, like football and tennis and stuff, which they tried 3D in, the complexities of doing that and getting a, a shot that actually worked, because I think what they started to revert to, and correct me if I'm wrong, but certainly from the 3D broadcast that I watched, they started using static cameras. Yeah, they had about three angles for Wimbledon. So you had the one behind the, exactly. the returner. So, so they knew they would set in advance to get the parallax right for the 3D and then they left it. They didn't touch it. They didn't do any pans. Yeah. They didn't move it on a dolly. They didn't do anything with it that would that would affect. And that's that's just too hampering when you're talking about a creative subject, even a live yeah. creative thing like football or, or tennis. You know, you want to live in the moment and be able to capture all this stuff and you just couldn't do it in 3D. Oh, you should have just through a contract that they, in the event of it going a bit skew if the uh, Wimbledon finalists would just have to do it again. <laughs> well, that's it. You kind of do it again, can you? So, you know, but also they kept trying to use angles, camera angles that would emphasize the depth. So, for example, having a camera behind the baseline, you couldn't see what the hell was going on. Yeah. Same with the football and rugby. They put the cameras down on the touch, on the touch line. And you had, so you had depth, but you had no idea who had the ball or where it was going. I mean, ultimately, the reason that they do shoot from above on football, for example, is because that's the best view of what's going on. The only sport uh, I ever watched in 3D that genuinely worked and, and, I, and I thought was spectacular. <laughs> very good. Yeah, it was on one of the demo discs. You know the one I mean. We used to watch yep, it over yep. and over and over. But the one sport, the live sport that did work and it added to the experience and you've finally got to see how difficult 
the job was for the sportsman was golf because you got the undulations of the of the fairway and especially on the putting green you could mm. then see that there was three or four different levels to the putting green you could actually if it was behind the ball you could you could actually read the line yourself um well well the golfer was re- trying to read the line you could see it because you could see the undulations in in 3d was and, it the masters that they did 3d yeah and it was I, it was pretty spectacular it was. the I only say. thing was that things at the distance looked like 2d cardboard cutouts yeah they? they did obviously there, there was issues with with that but that was the, the one time where i thought actually that does genuinely add to the experience and it lets you see just because when you see it on a on a 2d screen especially on on the greens when the pattern you don't actually get that sense of how far the ball is traveling or if it's an how uphill pat or a down, downhill pat or you know if it's undulations or different levels you can't really see that in a, on a 2d shot and that's that's the one time i saw a 3d sport and i thought yeah that actually adds something and the other it was thing handy that, in rugby as well yeah, when they were goal kicking between the posts. You could actually tell when it went through between the posts, which you can't always tell in two D. <laughs> but that was the one time in rugby when it was useful. Yeah. Otherwise, it was like oh, yeah. Oh. And I'm really surprised that gaming didn't take off because that was one of the things that they pushed back in 2010, 2011, and you know the stuff that you you would watch uh, when manufacturers were demonstrating it, and it looked really impressive. The gaming, I think, for 3D. gaming though, they viewed it. The, it became increasingly clear. And I, I'm speaking as a person that doesn't play computer games, but there's you, you look at feeds on Twitter and technology websites and so on and so forth, that um, they very quickly thought saw it as an intermediate step. Uh, and the, the thing that then immediately just sort of pushed it out the way was the pursuit of full virtual reality, yeah. which yeah. is now beginning to, you know, slowly and it's only taken, start. It's, only to taken. it's just 3D after all, isn't it? Yeah. This is true. Yeah. But again, I've got to say, I've, I've used an Oculus Rift. Rift. Um, you have as well, Steve. The one thing about that technology, I don't know if it's improved from the 12 months ago when I when I had one over my head, but um, in terms of resolution, really poor, which kind of detracted from the experience. Yeah, that will get better and better. Um, I find it quite disorientating as well. When you're kind of totally immersed in a different world, and you're looking around, um, and suddenly you know you're in a toilet or something like that, or a bathroom, and then <laughs> which, which it, was, the one we were looking at was a was being used as a way of demonstrating um, your new bathroom. Design, but yeah. Had you gone for a very very long lunch? Before <laughs> <you> <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when you're actually standing in the middle of a big uh, you know um, ballroom in a hotel, it was a bit weird. Um, uh, but no one no one looks cool wearing one of those head headsets. So no, and, sure and again coming back to three D, I think that was a big problem as well. Is getting people to wear the glasses in the home, and the glasses were never well designed. And and it's it, like you say, it's kind of ironic that we're getting to the stage now where manufacturers are dropping this technology from their TVs and stuff, and we're getting to the point where actually in terms of performance, I don't think there was many issues. And certainly, um, I always enjoy the £1,000 DLP projectors that come in for review because 3D always looks great on them. And you've got to think, if you're into 3D films and you don't necessarily um, you know, want to spend a hell of a lot of money, get yourself a little DLP projector for 3D because they are absolutely cracking quality-wise um, and, and good brightness as well from them. Um, for a home, 100-inch screen, less than a thousand pounds you get that experience but sadly like you say i mean the discs are starting to dry up and as we can see from philips no longer doing any 3d tvs samsung only their uh, high-end models are going to be 3d 
LG dropping 3D from one of their TVs this year, and Sony are only doing it on their high-end TVs. So as you can see, you know, as a technology, it's on its it's on its last legs. It's you know, the same with the curve. I think the curve's gone out as well. Like you mentioned at the beginning, um, Samsung. What really stood out for me when we went and had a look at the the dealer room, Steve, was um, 50% of the TVs were flat. From the yeah, from I mean, the, that, that's know? not something that hasn't been widely reported yet. Uh, and Samsung certainly haven't been talking about it a, a lot. But um, I think they are gradually moving back to um, to flatter screens. Uh, I don't think curved, despite what they might say, has been the big success they hoped it would be. No, no. And that was clear to see as soon as you walked into that room, you're thinking, well, there's hardly any curved TVs here, <laughs> um, which is a bit strange. Uh, but anyway, getting back to 3D, is it dead? I've, I think it's dead because... Um, it's not going to be available much longer on on equipment. It just looks that that like it's going to get dumped. And in terms of software, there's only the disc formats that are still available in 3D. Um, not supported by 4K, of course, either. No, exactly. So, it, is it is it dead? I think I think it's on no. life support. It's on life support. It'll, it'll be back though, because see, 3D goes in 30, 30 year cycles. It's been doing that since the beginning, 1920s, 1950s, 1980s, 2010. So 2040, we'll have more 3D again. I look forward you're, to 80-year-old Steve Weathers giving, <laughs> giving it large in his reviews. Of course, the, the big white hope was, was always going to be glasses free 3D. And we've seen a lot of prototypes, Steve, over the time. I mean, we've been, it's one of the lucky things going to CES and shows like that is that you get to see these prototypes. I haven't seen one that's convincing. Um, no, so they're, they're getting if better. If you wanted but... to accurately replicate what you see if you drink five or six cans of Tenant Super or Special Brew, it was absolutely peerless. As a means of sitting <laughs> down and watching television, I wasn't anything like as convinced. Uh, we saw one this year. I'm trying to remember whose stand it was on now. I think it was TCL. Was it TCL? Or... Yeah, was that TCL or was it Heinz? No, it was one of the Chinese manufacturers, I'm sure. Yeah, it was. It was one of them, and, and it was okay. But it was very dark, and the reflections killed it. And, and you couldn't move your head. You couldn't move your head, and yeah. So. Weren't Dolby behind one at one point? Yes. Dolby glasses, they were, weren't they? Yeah, yeah they were. On the HDR bandwagon, they're not interested. Yeah, but HDR has all the hallmarks of, of, of gaining some traction. It uh, doesn't require you, the person to be in any way different when viewing it um and it you know it has sort of support across sort of multiple you know multiple start points so and that's that's a good point that you raised there ed and it's one that everybody keeps forgetting about as well is that not everybody sees 3d mm. and a lot of people had have medical conditions or just just can't see the effect and there's a lot of people out there that have that issue. And my daughter can't see. My ten-year-old can't see three D. There you go. So you know, there's, there's there are people out there that have issues with three D as well. So, like you say, I mean, the, the stuff that's coming this year, like resolution, as long as you've got fairly good eyesight, resolution HDR is really going to stand out because it's it's more about the the contrast of the image um, and the wider color gamut. You know, that really stands out as well. Like Steve says, when you we looked at the Blu-ray version against the HDR version of the Lego Movie. The Blu-ray one's extremely muted in terms of... I was of quite shocked, actually, at just how different, going back to the, to, the, to the Blu-ray, how disappointing it was. You know, and it's not a, it's a great Blu-ray. I mean, this would have been a state-of-the-art when it came out last year, you know, 10 out of 10 for picture and sound. But comparing it to the, to the HDR version, I was, it, was, uh, it was actually a, a bit of a, a shock. Um, and, and there you go, people. The, today's technology, Steve, went from a really poor and compressed sound... 
at the start of that sentence to nice and clear at the end. Thanks to his internet connection. <laughs> <HDR> for voices. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a metaphor. Anyway, that's enough nonsense for this week. Thank you very much for listening, and that's all the time we got for this week's podcast. My thanks to Steve Withers. He's got into character. <laughs> <laughs> Clears his throat, applies the false <clears throat> moustache. <laughs> no, can't do that one. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I like to make sexy time. And Sally. He's still asshole. I get iPod, he only get iPod mini. Everybody know it's for girls. And Mark Hodgkinson. Pamela, I am no longer attracted to you anymore. Not. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. You can bookmark TV forums for latest reviews, news and video. And of course, you can leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. And as it's the beginning of the month, on the next podcast, we'll read them out. So uh, leave us five stars. We'll read your name out. And like I say, we're not here next week, so please do not tune in for the podcast. Uh, we are taking our half-term break. We're off to the Panasonic convention. So we're back on the podcast on the 9th of March with lots more TVs to talk about. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you again next Wednesday. Wednesday.